This is a free download from Delancey Eden Church. We meet every Sunday morning at 10.30am in the Delancey Eden Church building at the Bank St. Sampson's in the Channel Island of Guernsey to contact us or find out more information about us. Please visit our website at delanceyelan.co.uk. So I'm sure we've all heard um, the phrase, our body is a temple. Yes, you have a look at your body. It is a temple. I'm not sure if you ever feel a little bit more like this. Some people say their body is a temple. Mine is a bouncy castle. That amused me this week when I saw that. But um, seriously... Our bodies are temples. And I don't mean in the way of the physical sense. What I mean is scripturally. We are told in the Bible, aren't we, that our bodies are temples because the spirit dwells within us. And I was speaking about this the other week in 1 Corinthians. Let's just go to it. It says this. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you are bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. We're called to glorify God with every part of our being, with our whole selves, because the Spirit of God dwells within us. How often do we go around living, perhaps, as though the Holy Spirit doesn't live in our life? How often do we do things and say things and behave in certain ways where it's almost as if the Holy Spirit wouldn't be in our lives. The Holy Spirit dwelling within us should cause us to change. It should make a massive difference to our life. If we're living with the Spirit within us, what we think, what we say, what we do, how we react, all of those things, the Spirit in our life should make a difference to those things. It's a bit like Being a teenager, you might remember back to when you were a teenager, and your parents say you're allowed a house party. Okay, don't know if any of you have ever experienced that, or with your children. What happens in the house, in a house party, when the parents aren't there, would never happen when the parents were there. Yeah? That's why I wasn't allowed a house party, I think, when I was a teenager. But what happens with teenagers in their world, if they're allowed a house party and the parents leave the house, probably what goes on, whatever happens there, wouldn't happen if the parents were in the house. If you're going to have a house party, you wouldn't let your parents stay, basically, would you? Well, you might, but you probably wouldn't. The presence of your parents as a teenager does make a huge difference to what you do, what you say. Remember like when I used to go to grannies, be on your best behaviour. You know, can't say, can't do, you've got to behave well, you're at grannies now. It's a bit like that. And the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives should make such an impact, should make such a difference. It's like, you know, oh, I'm going to behave differently if my parents are in the room, or if my grandparents, or whatever it is. Are we living completely different 
because we know and understand that the Spirit is dwelling within us. The Spirit of God is dwelling within us. See, what happens here in Corinthians, the people of Corinth had a complete disconnect. They kind of missed it. They kind of missed the point. They thought it didn't matter really what they did. It didn't matter. The Spirit was in them, but actually they kind of missed the idea that the physical actions of their body and how they behaved and what they were doing was linked to the heart and linked to the Spirit. They they disconnected that. And so they're being told, don't you know that the Spirit is within you? You should glorify God with every part of who you are and what you do. There can't be a separation. They'd forgotten. They had missed the point, maybe. We can do that too at times, can't we? A little bit like the Corinthians. It's not always easy to live in the way of love, in the way of righteousness, in the way of goodness. It's not always easy. We're challenged all the time. And it's not easy because actually, in fact, we are, the Bible says, slaves to sin. The Bible tells us that sin is an enslaving power. And we, on our own, are spiritually powerless to do anything. On our own. We're enslaved to sin. And that is why it's so important that we know that we are walking with the Spirit as our helper, as our guide, as our enabler, to overcome the power of sin in our life. Because we are powerless and we will be enslaved to sin, the Bible says. One of the all-time heavyweight questions of the philosophical world, and you know I love my philosophy, and I'm sure I've shared this before, is the question, what is man? That's the question I used to pose to all my students at school. (laughs) What are we? What is mankind? How would you sum us up? And I love Alexander Pope's essay on man, because he says this, man is the glory, the jest, and the riddle of the world. The glory, jest, and riddle. The question posed throughout the, out the ages, through generation to generation, what are we? What are we all about? We're the glory. We're all things good, wonderful, and marvellous. Look at the person next to you. Aren't they lovely? Aren't they so great? We're everything good. We're everything marvellous. We do such great things. We are so wonderful. We are the glory of this world. We are also the riddle. Because we're a little bit of a mystery, aren't we? Look at the person next to you. Are they a bit of a mystery? Hmm? A little bit of a mystery. (laughs) They're a little bit of a mystery. We're full of questions. We don't get things right. But we're also the jest. We're a complete contradiction, aren't we, as a human race? We're all things good, but we're all things bad as well. We look around the world. We can be at times really horrid to one another. We can be really awful. We can be unkind as a human race. We can destroy people. We can tear people down. We can do things that are just horrid and cause misery. I think he sums it up quite well, the glory, the jest, and the riddle of the world. And it doesn't matter what religion you look at. It doesn't matter who you speak to. Universally, as a human race, we tend to agree on certain things. We tend to agree on certain values that are really good and that we all strive for. Like, we kind of all tend to agree that we shouldn't really lie, and we should show generosity, and we should be kind to one another, and we should be compassionate, and we should bring about justice. It doesn't matter what religion you're part of, 
don't even have to be part of religion. That's kind of universal in, in humanity, that we tend to agree with that. And we also tend to agree and know that there are really bad things in the world. And we know that the main reason, really, for many of our problems, not all, but many of our problems, many of our sadnesses, many of the misery in the world, really does stem when we come away from those values. When we stop being generous, when we stop being kind, when we stop being loving and compassionate. When we step away from those values, so often everything ends in chaos. We are indeed the jest and the glory. And we know that. We know that when we step away from those things, life goes wrong, things go wrong. And yet, we still do it. We still do it. We still do stuff. We still do stuff we know is wrong. We still do stuff that we know is going to have a consequence. And we don't like the consequence, but we still do it. Why? Why do we keep on doing stuff? Because the Bible says, you know what? We are slaves to sin. We are slaves to sin. And sin is not just an action. You know, sometimes we think of a list of actions of things that are wrong. It's bigger than that. Sin is a power. It's a power, it's a force in our life to make us do stuff that might be wrong. People often think talking about sin these days might seem a little old-fashioned. Perhaps it doesn't really matter what we do. We're covered by God's love and grace, and we are covered by God's love and grace. And I love that picture this morning of being washed and being cleansed and being free. And I'll come to that later. But we are called to live righteous lives. But we've missed the point if we think that sin is just the act itself. Because actually, it's a power in our life that will come and have a hold on us. And ultimately, sin, really, if we define what sin is, it's not just actions that we do. We list some things that are wrong. It's not. Sin is when we do anything and we put anything above God in our lives. If we do anything and we set aside anything as higher or more important than God, that really is the essence of it. Craving, desiring something more than God, living for something more than God, that is the essence, really, of what sin is and the power it has in our lives. We might not feel that we're sat here with a massive addiction or a massive thing, But all too often, I think, we all, at different times in our life, at different moments, put other things above God. Yeah? But sin will rob us. It will rob us of our freedom. It will destroy our freedom. It will destroy the way we think, our reasoning, our rationality, it will destroy our emotions and our well-being, it will destroy our our willpower and our self-control, whether it be a sinful action, whether it be lying, anger, whether it be acts of impurity, whether it be pride, laziness, greed, all of those things, whatever I could go on, whether it's any of those or whether it's just giving something a higher place than God in our lives, whatever it might be, uh, a certain desire or thought, whatever, it will rob us of our true freedom if we allow that power to have a hold over our lives. It will mess with our lives. And the Bible says we're powerless on our own to do anything about it. And when we think disobeying God will bring freedom, that very act 
that promise is freedom is the one thing that robs us of our freedom. Sin renders us powerless. We live under an enslavement. We are spiritually powerless to do the best thing, to do the right thing. St. Paul talks about it himself. Let's have a little look in Romans 7. I'm going to get my tongue tied over this. For I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. St. Paul. Ah, he's quite heavyweight in the Christian world, isn't he? He said it himself. They had this enslavement to sin. He was powerless. He wants to do the right thing, but every time he wants to do the right thing and tries to do the right thing, close at hand is evil. He wants to do good. The more he wants to do good, the more he wants to do it, the less he seems able to do it. And he recognises that he's powerless. Timothy Keller says this, that if we're not aware, like Paul, that we're spiritual slaves, if we don't realise we're powerless, then our moral ambition is too low. I like that thought. If we don't realise, like Paul, that we're, we're powerless, and when we're slaves to sin and the evil is placed at hand, our moral ambition is too low. Because he challenges this, he says this to us. Um, just try living out the golden rule for 12 hours. The golden rule, the central thing to our faith. Treat others as you want to be treated. Treat others as you want to be treated. Timothy Keller says, live that out. Try and live that out in its fullness for 12 hours. Now, you might say, I live that out all the time. But really, to the extreme, to the extreme. So, if we're trying to live the golden rule in absolute fullness, it means this. Meeting the needs of others with all your strength, with all the determination, with all the joy, and with all the speed that you would meet your own. Meet everybody else's. And we'll soon realise what Paul was saying. When I try to do good, when I, the more good I try to do, the more I try to be righteous, the more I try to do the right thing, I'm suddenly aware how powerless I am. I'm suddenly aware that evil is right there beside me because the more I'm trying, the more it just seems like I can't do it. If you can't see it, perhaps you haven't tried hard enough. If I don't recognise that today I can't run the 100 metres like I did when I was 14. It's because I haven't given it a go recently. Anyone who says, I'm not a spiritual slave, perhaps isn't trying hard enough to live by that golden rule because we will see, like Paul, that sin has power over us. We're enslaved to it and we're powerless to know what to do with it. It has an effect and it will rob us and it will destroy us of our freedom. Now, as you're sitting there thinking all doom and gloom, don't worry. Okay? Don't worry. We have the spirit. Turn to Numbers chapter 11 for me, okay, if you have your Bible. And um, we're going to look from verse 4 to verse 20, but I'm not going to read it all. I'm just going to sort of summarize it a little bit and read bits of it to you just for time. Numbers 11. What we've got, the situation here is this. The Israelites have been freed from Egypt. They're in the wilderness. Okay, this is what's happening at this time. And um, they were enslaved. They were slaves in Egypt. But God has freed them 
They now got out of there, but they're not quite in the promised land yet. They're in this wilderness situation, and Moses is leading them. And it says this, Now the rabble that was among them had a strong craving, and the people of Israel also wept again and said, Oh, that we had meat to eat. We remember the fish we ate in Egypt that cost nothing, the cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, the onions and the garlic. But now our strength is dried up and there's nothing at all but this manna to look at. They're fed up. They're looking back and they're going, are we all right? Yeah, it's all right. Yeah, okay, thanks. They're looking back and they're going, look at all the stuff we had. It cost us nothing. And they're moaning about the manna that God has given them. But we know that actually it did cost them something. It cost them their lives. They were enslaved back then. So they're having a bit of a moan, a bit of a whinge. They don't want manna anymore. They go to Moses. And they say to Moses, they're at his tent door, knocking on his door and saying, look, we want meat. We have got all this stuff that we used to have. We've got manna. We don't like it. It's not very flavoursome. And they're fed up. Moses then gets fed up. Moses is like, oh, great. Thanks, God. You brought me here in the wilderness with all these people. They're moaning at me. I've got no meat to give them. What are you going to do? I don't want to carry this burden anymore. He wants to give up. So God says to Moses, it's okay, look, I'll, I'll give you some leaders and I'll help, help you carry, they'll help you carry the burden. Okay? But God gets angry. Okay? And here, in verse 18, God says to this, to Moses, he says, and say to my people this, consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow you shall eat meat. For you have wept in the hearing of the Lord, saying, who will give us meat to eat? For it was better for us in Egypt. Therefore the Lord will give you meat and you shall eat. You shall not just eat one day or two days or five days or ten days or twenty days, but a whole month until it comes out of your nostrils and becomes loathsome to you. Because you have rejected the Lord who is among you and have wept before him, saying, why did we come out of Egypt? Oh, my days. I know it's not a nice thought, is it? This is, one of, this is one of those passages in the Bible you just wish, actually, I won't read that. I'll skip over that. I'll go to the Psalms. Be safe there. I don't want that. No, no one is coming off well in this passage, are they? The Israelites aren't coming off well. Moses isn't coming off well. The leaders aren't. God's not. It all sounds a little desperate in this situation. The Israelites have been freed from slavery in Egypt. They're in the wilderness. They're moaning. They're just they're thinking, oh, do you remember those days? Do you ever do that with people? Remember those days, how great they were? We had cucumbers and we had melons and the onions and weren't the fish great? And they're all sitting around talking about it. What on earth are they doing? Anyone reading this, we just look at them and go, you ridiculous people. Ridiculous. You were slaves. It didn't cost you, it, co- it wasn't that it cost you nothing, it cost you everything. You were beaten and you were whipped and you were in slavery. And now you've been freed and you're moaning because you don't like the manna. But you're heading towards the promised land. Just keep going. Don't complain. Just keep going. Put up with the manna. Okay, it might not be great, but hey ho, it's alright. You're going to the promised land. You're going to be free. Foolish behaviour. They were being irrational. They weren't thinking straight. Their, their emotions were all over the place. The problem was this. They might have been freed from slavery in Egypt. Physically freed. But now they're in the wilderness. And what we recognise is they're still slaves. They're still slaves. They're still enslaved to the power of sin. They're still spiritually powerless to do the right thing. 
So they sat there moaning and whinging and complaining. And the real issue here, if you look at verse 4, says it talks about the craving. They were craving meat. Timothy Keller says this in verse 4. At the very heart of their hearts, they're saying something to themselves. They're saying, if only. That's what's in their heart. It's an if only. If only we had meat. There is something burning in our hearts. It's an if only. If only this. If only that. If only whatever. And it's the if only that is the power of sin in our life to hold us and grip us and rob us of our freedom. It's the if only that will take us into the other things that we call sinful actions. Whether we experience anger or bitterness, greed, impurity, whatever it might be, whatever it is, it's probably stemming from the if only in our hearts. And I wonder what, like the Israelites, we are saying to ourselves, if only. What are we saying to ourselves would be the one thing that would bring us happiness at that moment, at that situation, at this time? And it might well be that that, the answer to that is the thing that will enslave us and have a power over us. The thing we crave, the thing we desire before God is power. If I have an if only in my heart, if only people really liked me, if everybody liked me, if only everybody liked me, if only everybody accepted me, if only I had a a real sense of belonging somewhere, if only I was loved. And those if onlys can take me into the wrong places. If only everybody liked me, I'd just become a people pleaser and I'd do things I wish I didn't do. If only I really had a sense of feeling loved and belonging, it takes me into wrong relationships, places I shouldn't be in. You see, the if only in our heart, if it takes place above God, is the thing that will will keep us held. It will be the power that holds us. And we are spiritually powerless. The enslavement affected the Israelites. This if only in their hearts affected them. Because if we look in verse 4, it says, they began craving, so their emotions were being changed. This if only we had meat, then we'd be happy. It changed the way they were feeling. It changed their emotions. And it will mess with our emotions too, if we don't recognise it. If we have this, if only I had this, if only it was this, it will change the way we feel and it will shift our emotions and we'll be in a mess. In verse 5 it said, we remember the fish we ate in Egypt. It cost nothing, the cucumbers and the melons and the leeks and the onions and the garlic. Getting us all hungry. They're remembering back. They're remembering and believing that the food came without a cost, which was absurd. It didn't come without a cost. They're in denial. But the euphonia of their hearts is destroying their thinking and their rationality and their reasoning. Their mind is all over the place. And sin And that hold on our life, that if only in our hearts, will change our thinking. And we won't think straight. And in verse 6 it says, but now our strength is dried up. They had no strength. They were saying, there's just no way we can do this. Our strength is dried up. We can't be like this. And the power of sin in our life, the power of the only, will cause our willpower to be destroyed and our self-control 
to be destroyed. Sin has the power to attack our emotions, our rationality, and our will. We'll start justifying things, perhaps. We won't be thinking straight. If you ever looked at someone's life, you think, what were you thinking? But when you're in something, you're not thinking straight. It undermines everything. We lose our freedom when we allow the power of sin to have a hold on us. And this is why it's so important that we ensure that we have the Spirit in us and we are walking in step with the Spirit, fully living by the Spirit who has come to be our helper and set us apart to live a godly life. In 2 Corinthians it says this, but we kept ourselves pure and have been understanding, patient and kind. How? Why? The Holy Spirit has been with us and our love has been real. We have spoken the truth and God's power has worked in us. In all our struggles, we have said and done only what is right. Why? How could they do that? How could they live that way? Because they were walking with the Spirit. The Holy Spirit was helping them to be like that. Because on our own, we can't do it. Well, I can't. And when you look at the real issue of what's going on, we see it in verse 20. And God says, look, you've rejected me. I'm going to do this. Meat's going to come out of your nostrils. I don't like to think of that it's going to be loathsome to you the very thing you want because you rejected me and they were probably thinking the people were probably thinking hang on a minute we haven't rejected God here we haven't rejected God we were just just saying um, if only we had some meat we haven't rejected God they they probably didn't even realise what they were doing but God says you've rejected me because that if only sets itself up as a priority above God. And when we do that, that's the power of sin in our life, and we reject the Lord. We don't even know we're doing it sometimes. It becomes the very centre of what we're looking at and what we're focusing on and what we're thinking about. And before we know it, God's over here, and the thing is here, and it's got a hold on us. And God is saying, look, you've rejected me. Sin isn't the main problem. The problem is this. We're not fully abiding in Christ. We've forgotten that the Spirit dwells within us. We've forgotten to make God centre to our life. So we can do everything possible to try and eradicate the wrong in our life. We can do everything possible. And we can try really hard to change our thinking. We can try really hard to change our habits. We can do everything we can. We can muster up all the energy we have. We can pull up our socks and we can say, I'm going to change my priorities. I'm going to do this differently. I'm going to think differently. I'm going to be differently. I'm going to act differently. I'm going to say things differently. I'm going to be a different person. And we can do everything in our own strength to try and make that happen. I guarantee you that might last a day. A week. It might even last a month, but it probably won't last a lifetime. I've done it. I've tried. I speak from experience of doing everything I can possibly to change that or be this or do that. It doesn't work for long. Because the real thing we need is to be aligned with Christ. The real thing we need is a rediscovery of really who God is is the very nature of who God is. That's what we need to experience. It's not about believing in God. Because we can happily believe in God and carry on doing all the wrong stuff and not living a good life and not living in love and righteousness. It's not believing in God. Lots of people believe in God. It's not even obeying God. 
Because I tell you what, I have believed in God all my life and I've tried to obey God all my life and I have still, over the course of my life, done stuff I regret and wish I hadn't done. Why? Because in the moments of my life, at those times, I wasn't encountering God. I wasn't experiencing God. I wasn't remembering the very nature of who God is to me. We need a revelation of who God is all the time, all the time, every day, not just on a Sunday, not just in a moment, but all the time we need to be worshippers. We need to worship God in spirit and truth. Everything that we are, all that we do, more and more and more we need to worship God in our singing, yes, on a Sunday, but on our own, in our devotional life, reading the word, spending time with him, whatever it is, because the more time we give God, the more moments we create for that encounter with God. And it's knowing who God is. It's knowing the very nature of who God is that will destroy the power of sin in our life. I can't do it on my own. I need help. I need the Spirit of God. I need to abide in the Spirit. I need to abide in God to know fully who God is. Because it's not until I know the very nature of who God is that my life is going to change. Because I can't shift sin in my life. I can't shift the if only. But God's Spirit can shift it. And we need to know that. But we need to give opportunity for that. And we need to create space and we need to live a life of worship. To be worshippers. We need a revealed nature of who God is. And sin's power will begin to lessen and lessen. When I abide with Christ, I'm able to walk with Christ. We know the fruits of the Spirit. They're outlined in Galatians 5. Let's have a quick look and reminder of them. The fruit of the Spirit is this, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness and self-control. Those are the fruits of the Spirit. Wouldn't it be great if every Christian looked like that? That'd be good, wouldn't it? Wouldn't it be great if I got up every morning and I just was able to live an abundant life of those fruits of the Spirit, they were just coming out of me. But Paul said this, the more I try, the more I try to be loving and the more I try to have joy and the more I try to be peaceful and patient and kind and good and self-controlled, the more I realise I can't do it. The more I realise I'm powerless to do it. How does fruit get produced? Fruit grows on a branch, doesn't it? And that branch is connected to the tree, the vine, whatever it is, in the right soil with the right weather conditions. And the fruit flourishes and it grows. It's absurd to think that fruit would grow on a branch that was disconnected from the tree. How silly of us to think that that would ever happen. If I brought in a branch and it wasn't connected to the tree, we could watch it forever and ever and ever, but it's not going to grow any fruit. It's got to be connected. It's got to be connected to the life source for it to flourish, for it to grow. John 15 says this, Jesus said, I'm the true vine. My father is the vine dresser. Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Jesus said he was the true vine. We need to abide in him. He was telling the disciples, and what's interesting is he's telling the disciples, and just previous to this chapter, 
Judas has gone off to betray him and he's telling the disciples about leaving and he's setting them up and preparing them for the fact that he's going to be crucified. And the passage after is the one I read this morning about the Holy Spirit and how he was saying, abide in me. But he was going. What did he mean? He was sending his spirit. He wanted them to know that although he's not going to be there physically, he's going to continue to sustain them, continue to nourish them. They would be connected to him through the spirit. And I'm sending the spirit to you. He's going to live within you. We have the Holy Spirit in us, keeps us connected to Jesus, keeps us connected to the Father. And we are taught to abide, abide in Jesus. A branch can do nothing on its own. We cannot produce fruit on our own. We can try. We can try to remove the power of sin in our life. We can try ourselves to remove that if only. And tell you what, some weeks I have a big if only and it kind of takes over. And then I realise that I need God there. just need to remove that, God. You need to come back. We need to remain in him. We need to know what it is to be worshippers all the time. Walking with the Spirit. Listening to the Spirit. Creating space. We need lots and lots of space for God. Because we need moments where we are... You know, when was the last time you had a moment, a real moment, where you were worshipping God with everything within you, moved to tears, moved to emotion, so overcome by who God is? When was the last time that happened? When we really had that revelation of the beauty of God, we need those moments. And they don't come every day. They don't even come every week. But the more we have time with God, the more those moments come, yeah? And that will help us to get rid of the power of sin in our life, to break that. Because on our own, we're powerless. But with the Spirit, we can do it. And it brings us back, doesn't it, to that beautiful picture this morning that when we come to the cross, no matter what we have done, no matter who we are, that symbol was a symbol of love for every one of us. To say, I've redeemed you, I've forgiven you, I've washed you clean. And I'm sending my spirit to help you because you're powerless on your own. Don't worry, I know, I get it. God gets it. But here's your spirit to help and guide you and enable you. You Sometimes people say, God is egotistic because he wants our worship and he wants our praise. God's a killjoy because he doesn't want us doing stuff. No, no, no. That's completely missing the point. Completely missing the point. God, if we really believe that God is good, knows what's best for us. And God knows that a life of worship of who he is, a life of righteousness will be the thing that brings us freedom. It will be the thing that helps us to live a great life. He knows what he's doing. He created us. I want to invite the worship group to come back. We're going to sing a final song because it gives us a moment to process what we've just heard, a moment to process God's word into our life. We've been talking about the Holy Spirit, walking with the Spirit over many weeks, and 
The Spirit is there to help us to live righteously. And to live a godly life. listening to this free download from Delancey Elam Church. For more downloads or to contact us, please visit our website at delancey